Frequency Cast. Startup in progress. Hi, and welcome to Frequency Cast number 56, the UK's digital TV and technology show. The show that's based on feedback from you. My name's Carl, and with me as ever is our tech guru, Pete. Hi there. Get your silly glasses ready as today we're looking at the technology behind 3D. Here's a look at what else we're covering in today's tantalising take on technology. Hands on with the little box that moves TV around your home. By popular demand, we look at the history of a handy gadget. Sky's plans to close two big name TV channels. More questions from listeners keen to handle a Kindle. Plus voice recorders, tablets and Freeview after the switchover. First off, here's Pete with the latest TV and tech news. First up, just weeks after rebranding Virgin One to Channel One, new owner Sky has announced that the channel will be scrapped, as will 25-year-old satellite station Bravo. This is especially bad news for Freeview customers, as Channel One is set to be replaced by the game show channel Challenge. No date has yet been set. Next, mobile phones. Windows Phone 7, the rewritten Microsoft operating system, should be with us in October, with the first mobile expected to be the HD7 from HTC. You can expect a smooth touchscreen, Xbox Live integration, and a rather novel at-a-glance active home screen. Next, three free Facebook. UK Network 3 is to offer free access to the social networking site Facebook. If you're on 3, use your phone to browse to zero.facebook.com. The interface is basic, but usable and free. TV channel news now. BBC One HD is expected to launch in November. And in October, Sky customers can expect to see Eden HD, Nickelodeon HD and ITV2 HD. Also note that the Hallmark channels will soon be rebranded to Universal. Some other snippets. The new Apple TV boxes have started shipping, priced £99 in the UK. We'll bring you a review soon. Olympus has released a new version of their linear voice recorder. The new LS5 offers the same high-spec stereo recording, but at a lower price. See our show notes. And a reminder to Sky HD customers that on the 5th of October, HD channels will become tied to channel packages. For example, to watch Sky One in HD, you'll be required to subscribe to the Sky Variety Pack. See the link on our show notes for more. DAB News Now, a new book is set to cause some controversy. Available from the 1st of October and written by Grant Goddard, the controversial title is DAB Digital Radio, Licensed to Fail. Link on our show notes. A quick 3D update that broke after our main feature was recorded. Virgin Media has just trumped Sky by launching their own on-demand 3D service, just days ahead of Sky's 3D channel launch. And finally, personal details of over 5,000 Sky broadband customers have been leaked. The firm ACS Law forced Sky to hand over details of customers that may have used Pirate Bay to share adult movies. Such details are used by the firm to send out threatening letters asking for £500 in compensation. Online activists in return took down the ACS Law website, hacked into their servers, accessed their email system and found the apparently unencrypted personal data attached to an email, as well as a number of other embarrassing messages. 
Now, the anti-piracy law firm are being investigated by the UK authorities about possible breaches of the Data Protection Act and could find themselves fined up to half a million pounds. Another example of the law of unintended consequences. Thanks, Pete. For more on what we've covered today, check out our news blog at www.frequencycast.co.uk forward slash news. Fully loaded, thank you. And in today's focus, I see you have it on your Kindle again, Pete. Good boy. Uh, what are we focusing in on today? Three things to talk about. First off, terminology for TV, specifically 3D and HD. Then we're talking about piping TV around the home. And then we have a new feature. More on that shortly. Oh, I'm looking forward to the new feature. Let's start with 3D. Okay, now we have to thank Drew Andy in our forum, who suggested how about a 2D audio review of 3D TV systems, formats available and what's coming. So yeah, that sounded good. We've not really done 3D in much detail, so we thought we'd give that one a go. We nearly went with Michael Johnson's suggestion, which is to talk about Apple TV, but maybe that one will come up next show. All right, looking forward to that. Let's move on. Now, we've done some good watching of 3D, haven't we? We've seen all the various different types of 3D. Do you remember the different formats? Yes, I've seen several formats. There's the active and the uh, passive, isn't there? Is that right? There's actually four formats. Now, I'm going to make you laugh now. Turn around, shut your eyes. Okay. When you're ready. (laughs) God, you almost look like you've got a pair of Oakleys on. You're a surfer. A surfer in two colours. Pop those on and look at the red. Oh, good grief. (laughs) Okay, I've got to take them off. For those of you not watching in HD, what I've done is I've popped on a pair of the old red and blue glasses. These are actually proper plastic ones, none of the paper nonsense, and they kind of wrap around your head a bit. Now, they use a technology called anaglyphic 3D, which is basically the passive uh, format. And on the screen, you get sort of this horrible ghosty effect, and you can use these glasses to get a cheap 3D effect. Okay, so that's way back in the, what, 60s, 70s that was uh, innovated, wasn't it? Actually, before that, in comics and the like. So then we moved on, though, to the sort of grey look, didn't we? Now, are those two different tones of grey or just one? So what I've got on now is what looks like a cheap pair of uh, glasses. Now, I actually nicked these from my local Odeon. These are what you get if you go and see a 3D film. And these are passive glasses, and they use a technology called polarisation. I think I must add at this point, you can get these from the National Health, can't you? Now, do you know how these polarised things actually work when it comes to TV? Not really. Is is one a slightly different shade than the other, or are they... uh, I don't know. No. So it's like the old Polaroid sunglasses where you could line the two of them up and things would go dark or light when you twisted them round. And basically how it works on the TV is uh, one line is transmitted in one polarisation, horizontal or vertical, and the next line is the inverse of it. So you actually get two separate bits of information and the glasses either show you sort of horizontal or vertical so you can see the 3D image. Ah, very clever. The only downside with this polarisation effect is uh, that you do lose some of the resolution because half the picture's broken up to give you the 3D effect. So you're saying it's slower? I'm saying it's lower quality. Right, Okay. Then you have these. Now, these are slightly more expensive, and they're in this case. It's a very posh glasses case, isn't it? Here are these glasses. They're nice and plastic, aren't they? Is that an off switch on the side? Now we're talking active. These are the ones you get if you buy yourself an expensive 3D TV to have at home. Okay. tell me more. So this uses technology called alternate frame sequencing, and it's rather clever, but it's a little bit odd. So these glasses have a thin layer of liquid crystal, like the standard LCD stuff, in them. And what happens is the TV and the glasses talk to each other, either using uh, infrared, radio waves, or Bluetooth. And the TV sends a signal to get the glasses to start flickering at a certain frequency. Oh, that's very clever. That's not actually just an automatic thing in the glasses. That's actually been sent information. So it's got process 
processors in the glasses. Well, that's actually far more impressive than I thought. But when you're wearing them, God, oh, they give you a headache. Just if you're not looking at a screen, they're like flickering. When you put a voltage on each of these lenses, they go black. So alternately, it's blacking out the left eye, then the right eye, then the left eye, then the right eye at a frequency of somewhere upwards of 120 hertz, so 120 times a second. Each one is going black, light, black, light. Why are these better than other types then? Well, you don't get that horrible ghosting effect that you can get with the other types of glasses. And it doesn't mess with the colour, which of course the other ones do. Right, okay. Is there any further developments on this style of technology or is that the pinnacle at the moment? That is the best home 3D that you can get at the moment using these glasses. There are a few things that's worth pointing out with these. For a start, you can't share glasses. So if you have a set of glasses for your particular Sony 3D TV and you go around to your mate's house, the glasses aren't going to work. They are tied to different manufacturers. Right, okay, that's not a good thing. How many pairs of glasses can you get? Some TVs give you one set, some don't give you any at all, and the glasses are anything from about £75 upwards. Oh dear, you're adding more and more cost to your TV. So a family of five have got to go out and spend another three, four, four hundred odd quid on sunglasses. Yeah, exactly. So that is the latest technology. These are called active shutter or uh, LCD shutter, depending on the terminology. And you can see a little bit of a flicker when we were looking at a few sets. If you start looking at something like a fluorescent light bulb tube, you can really start noticing the flicker, can't you? Well, yeah, especially fluorescence because they're at 50 hertz and then you've got your eyes going at 120. So it's all going out of sync, isn't it, really? And I don't know if you remember a few shows ago when we very first talked about the first TV set, we read the warning that comes with it, which is uh, don't watch it for too long, don't sit too close. If you're susceptible to epilepsy, you should be careful. A whole bunch of health warnings. Yeah, you had to be straight edge to uh, watch TV, didn't you? That's right. No alcohol while watching TV. No operating heavy equipment while watching TV either, if I remember. So you asked what was next. Well, we are fairly close to a brand new type of technology, which is called, and I'm going to mispronounce this, Autostereoscopy. Easy for you to say. <laughs> Go on. So this gives you 3D, but without wearing glasses. Now, that's interesting. How? So you've got your LCD TV, and what they do is they've got a mesh that goes over the TV that's got little diagonal slits in it. Right. And some slits go that way, some slits point off to the left, and some slits point off to the right. So in other words, as you look at a TV, some of the pixels are going to be blocked off, so you can only see them from one angle, and some you can see from the other eye through the other angle. Okay, now I like this better. This is like sort of surround sound without using more than two speakers like using the phase concept. So this is kind of phase, visual phase, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. Now, I thought for a minute when you said it's like, you were going to say it's like lenticular printing. I was, I was going to. <laughs> it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> lenticular printing. You remember you used to get cereal boxes that had those 3D things in that you turn the card and you get a different effect? Now, unfortunately, I'm not showing my age here because I don't know what you're talking about. I think that's a different generation. You know full well what I'm talking about. Those things where if you look at a card and you tilt the head, you get a different effect. That effectively is using this lenticular technology, and that's what this particular new type of 3D is using so that um, you can see 3D without the extra need for glasses. You do have to be dead square on, which does make it a little bit difficult for people in the room watching with you. But uh, they're getting there. They're making some changes to make this better. That sounds quite good, actually. Have we seen one of these? It's not actually out in the commercial world yet. Apparently, in August, Toshiba said they were planning to bring one of these uh, TVs to market by the end of the year. But we are going to see this technology a little bit sooner. And, in fact, it should already be in a few people's hands now. Oh, yeah? In what format? The new Nintendo, the 3DS, which came out at the end of September, uses this technology to give you a 3D effect. Wow. 
I'm going to go and buy one just to try it. That's pretty much all I wanted to mention about 3D. With one exception, we just want to mention Ian Coxall. That's not Ian Coaxall. He's not an adapter or an attachment for an aerial, is he? Now, for legal reasons, we do have to mention Ian Coxall whenever we talk about 3D, because he is our 3D expert. Those keen-eared listeners amongst us will remember that way back in show number 36... I know what you're going to say. He told us to put on a pair of sunglasses and remove one of the lenses and then watch that bit from Star Trek, aren't he? Spot on, there you go. He said, It's a well-known fact that a bright image travels along the optic nerve faster than a less bright image. One eye therefore must view the image through a neutral density filter, i.e. one side of a pair of sunglasses. I'm glad you wrote that down. When we first talked about this, we were a little bit dubious. But what Ian told us to do, and what we would ask you to do as well, if you want to see something really, really clever, Get a pair of sunglasses and be prepared to put one lens over one of your eyes. Then get yourself a copy of any piece of video where the camera circles around two stationary people. Now, Star Trek Insurrection does this, and Ian told us that the time index, 32 minutes, 50 seconds, stick a filter over your left eye and watch as the camera goes around Data and Picard as they're on the alien planet. And you do see a really impressive 3D effect. Thank you again for that, Ian. There you go. So Ian is convinced that we don't need any of this active, fleshy, lenticular, figgy technology. You can just do it with a broken pair of sunglasses. I'm for that, Ian. I like your cheap way of doing it. Just wrapping up on our look at 3D, a reminder that Sky's 3D channel launched officially on the 1st of October, and it's part of the Sky HD package. Oh, and if you have a set of red and blue glasses handy, there's a great website we want you to look at. Now, Carl, do you remember many years ago we worked together in local radio? We certainly did, yes. It wasn't my fault. And we worked with a very famous radio star who was out on Radio Caroline and Radio 1. Great, the Emperor Roscoe. What a man! (laughs) There you go. Well, Roscoe has launched a rather novel website, the world's first fully 3D website, and it's rather impressive. Have a look at theemperorroscoe.com. And also, fans of the Emperor can check him out on the radio on Big L. Some links up on our show notes. Everybody, this is the Emperor Roscoe, and we're in 3D. Welcome aboard. The fastest thing in the air. Put your seatbelts on and stand by to view like never before. Fantastic. Only the Emperor would do something that fantastic. There you go. Well worth a look. And there's a little sneaky spider crawling around a web that's uh, something to watch out for too. Cool. Check him out. So that's 3D. What about HD? Yes, we're often asked for some help with some of the terms. One of our most common questions is the first one, Carl. What does 720 and 1080 mean? In HD, 720i, 720p, 1080i and 1080p. That refers to the number of lines, so 720 or 1080 lines. And in general, P is better than I. P stands for progressive and I stands for interlaced. The best you can get is called full HD, which is 1080p. Thank you very much. Next, what does HD ready actually mean? Now, this confuses a lot of people. They go out and buy an HD ready TV. Freeview HD is now launched and people are confused that they can't get Freeview HD on their HD ready TV. So what HD ready means is it's a TV set that is capable of displaying a high definition picture when it's connected to an HD source. What it doesn't mean is that your TV has a built in Freeview or Freesat HD receiver. That's clarified something for me. That was the wrong thing I bought. So if you get a TV that's HD ready, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has Freeview HD in it. If you've got an HD ready TV and you want Freeview HD, you'll need a separate box. 
Otherwise, what you need to look out for is an HD TV with Freeview HD built in. Bit confusing, but hopefully we've clarified. And we'll write something about that on our website, just in case people would like to recap it. Indeed we will. Thank you very much. Right, moving on to the second item in today's focus, which is this. Good grief. What is this? It looks like some sort of intermediate box between your TV and something. Oh, it's got a SCART. It's got a channel selector. It's got an RF out. It's got an oh, a 9 volt out there. IR, uh, a power on off switch, DC in and RF in and a few game controls and other things around it. Tell me, what is this? Now we have to thank Greg Smith, one of our listeners. He suggested that we try something called the Triax Trilink, which is what I'm holding in my hand. So this is a cunning little box that you use to send your TV around the house. All right, okay. And how is this an advantage over other devices? Uh, the actual question we had in from Greg was just wondering if you had a view on the Triax Trilink and do you know if it works with BT Vision? So what it does, let's explain what this does, is it has a SCART socket in and a SCART socket out. So what you do is you plug in something like a Freeview box or a FreeSat box or a BT Vision box into the SCART socket on the left hand side. And you use it as a loop through so you can have the output on the right hand side as well. Very good. You plug a TV aerial in there. And if you have Sky, you can also plug your Sky RF feed into there as well. Good grief. So it takes a lot of inputs, right? Then what does it do? It's a modulator. Now, you're familiar with the RF modulator. I am. I used to have one, didn't I? Two little dials here for channel. And you can dial up your channel between 21 and 68 to get your uh, modulated frequency. Okay. And this will effectively send the output of up to three things. So your TV aerial, whatever's on your SCART and your Skybox, up your TV aerial to other TVs in your house. All right. Add to that one other little feature. It's also got an amplifier in it. Oh, very nice. So you can actually amplify the signal that comes in. So the way it works, it comes with a box of bits. There you go. And what you have here, this is the Magic Eye solution. So at the remote TV, you plug that into your TV through the little coax socket and the incoming TV aerial into that. And you've got a little eye thingy that you point your remote control at. And this will send your infrared control commands down the TV aerial back to the host box on your main TV set. Ooh, that's clever. This little wire here is on a 3.5mm jack, and that's an infrared transmitter. So the way it works is you can wire it up something like BT Vision, where you plug it in through the SCART, up your TV aerial, you set up these little infrared remote control sensors, and you can use your BT Vision remote control upstairs to change the channel downstairs. Very good. There's only one slight problem that I found with it. Can you see, if I unplug that, can you see what the problem there is? It's the wrong connector. Yeah. So this has got screw thread F-plug connectors that you're more used to seeing on something like a Skybox, whereas, of course, most people in the house have got coax aerial sockets. So you have to go out to Maplin and get a converter. Yeah, just like this little one here. So you have to plug that in there, screw that in, and it will now take a standard aerial connection. I'm surprised they don't supply these with the kit as standard. A little bit disappointing, but certainly it's only a couple of quid to get some of these to make this work. And it comes with a 12-volt power supply, two infrared transmitters, digital link for the other TV set, and a manual. Price between 40 and £50. Pounds. See our show notes for a pick and some links. Did we mention Greg's uh, answer to his question? You know, does it work with BT Vision? Yes, indeed. It does work with BT Vision. There you are, Greg. I got him to answer it in the end. And next up, our new look at classic tech. But first, a commercial break. Hey you, do away with that tally stick. Now you can upgrade to Abacus 1.0. 
10 columns of addition power in a handy portable frame. Just slide the beans around to make adding and subtracting your 2700 BC tax return a doddle. The new Sumerian Abacus, available from your local Babylonian supermarket 4,800 years ago. I've got to move on, so I may as well buy one of those. <laughs> there you go. So this is a new feature where we look back on some classic old technology. This one was suggested by Graham Holland, who sent us a survey response saying, I love the idea of looking back at historical technology products. Why not start with the digital calculator, which is the first mass market device? So we'll do just that. Okay, well this is where I have to go and get all my favourite products, isn't it? First off, a little bit of history. So there was the abacus many, many, many thousands of years ago. We had the slide rule in 1622. The first mechanical calculator was invented in 1642 by Pascal. Was it? Is that because he beat Newton to it? 1820, Thomas de Coulmar invented the first commercial mechanical machine called the arithmometer. Okay. Babbage, famous for the computer, in 1822 came up with the difference engine that could hold seven numbers, 31 decimal digits each. Clever. Then Curter came up with the one-handed adding machine in 1948. Okay, I can't wait till we get to Texas Instruments. Have you ever seen one of those before? Are they the metal ones? Mm, indeed they are. They're called the Adiator. They were all the thing in the 20s onwards, little slidey pocket calculators. Where's the digital dinosaur when we need him? Then we had the first electronic calculator, the all-transistor IBM 608. Nice. Which was housed in several cabinets and cost $80,000. Oh, that's good. I've got three of those at home. Then the Casio, they had the Model 14A in 1957, which used relays and was actually built into a desk. <laughs> good grief. As you said earlier, the first handheld calculator was developed by... Texas Instruments. When? 1982. <laughs> 1967. It could add, multiply, subtract and divide, and its output was on a piece of paper. Oh, I didn't realise that. There you go. In the 70s, we had the first range of, of what we would recognise today as decent calculators. These included uh, the Sanyo Mini Calculator, the Canon Pocketronic, and the QT8B Micro Compet. And then Casio put some on watches later in the 80s, didn't they? <laughs> they did. One of the first low-cost calculators was from Sinclair. That was launched in August 73, retailing for £30. Gosh. Bet it's worth more now. And of course, the first LCD calculators, they were actually Rockwell International brought those out. 1972, the one most people are going to remember is the Sharp EL805, also in 1972. Uh-huh. Now, you may well remember this one. The first graphing calculator. Oh, yes. Jaws Grass, isn't it? That was the Casio FX7000G back in 1985. Do you still get those? I think you can still get them, yeah. I might go and get another one. And then there's your personal collection of calculators. Go on, go on, sling that one over. I'm dying to know. Now, this is my Melody calculator. I love this. This was by Casio. Um, and this one sounds a little bit like this. It's got this um, inbuilt tune already in there. <laughs> I'll make it stop. But it's better than that, because if you press the numbers, look. You've got the original 1980s batteries in there, haven't you? I think so. And also, it has a game on it. So if you switch it to this last function, you press the blue button, and now you get a game. It's like Space Invaders with numbers or something. Go on then, give us the other one. This is a talking one, isn't it? These are quite good. I like these, because you know when you've hit the numbers. One, two, three, plus, minus, time. And uh, what I particularly liked about this model is that it also tells the time. It's 12.33 a.m. Here, hold on a minute. Before we uh, put these away, let me just try something. Point seven seven three 
Okay. Now, hopefully, if I hold it upside down and press the repeat button... 0.7734. Oh, that was disappointing. I was hoping it would say hello. So there we go. Yeah, we've got digital watch calculators now, of course. All manner of other very clever calculators, including your collection of old tat there. Yeah, we're going to put some images of these on your website. Oh, go on then. My favourite calculator is this, the LiveScribe Pulse Pen. Go on then, show off your toy... Well, this pen uses special paper to capture handwriting and audio. We actually reviewed this back in show 40, and as well as being my all-time favourite gadget, it also calculates using handwriting. Let me just switch this on. Main menu. There we go, and I'm writing on the special book. I write the word calc, and I write a sum. 23 times 47 equals... Right, look at the pen screen, 1081, and it's got that just from my handwriting. Very clever. All right, try this one, Pete. What's 1, 2, 3 times 5? 1, 2, 3 times 5. Uh, 6.15. 6.15? Time for some interaction. Frequency cast. Now loading. Interaction. And time now to hear from you as we take a look at your emails, texts, tweets and calls in interaction. First off, we got some good feedback on our Kindle special, didn't we, Pete? Yes, we did. We put together a 25-minute special on Amazon's new book reader, and we got lots and lots of good feedback. In our update, we answered a question from Richard Curtis, who asked whether the browser could cope with Gmail. When we tested it, it couldn't, could it? Uh, Well, apparently not. I mean, you showed me it couldn't, but I didn't know. But two keen listeners have found a way to do it. Vic15 says, I couldn't log in initially at the Gmail screen when I went to it direct, but I worked out when I went through the iGoogle site and logged in from my account there, I could get in. Uh, Vic also says, I've had my Kindle for a couple of weeks now and absolutely adore it. I hadn't worked out you could search Wikipedia direct from the text until I listened to the show, so that was quite handy for him. Bill C also got in touch to tell us he can get into basic Gmail too, but there's a problem clicking on links in Gmail. It seems to want to open up the link in a separate window, which isn't supported on the Kindle. Apparently, Amazon is about to release a patch for the Kindle 3. Version 3.0.2 should include some performance tweaks and some improvements to the browser. Next, hi to Sean McKenney. He's after a replacement for his Olympus DS2400 digital voice recorder, as his model's got water damage. He's after that specific model because he wants it to be compatible with a dragon naturally speaking. What the hell's that? Dragon Dictate. It's really, really good dictation software. Although, of course, it's not as good as the lovely service we get from Typing Angels that do our podcast transcriptions. As for the DS2400, we have found it at a decent price, including free PNP. See our show notes for the link. We've also had three more Kindle questions sent in by Tim Cummings. First, can I view two books at once so that I can check any references made by one writer against the book they're quoting? Well, the Kindle screen doesn't allow you to have two books on screen at the same time, but you can switch between two books very easily without losing your place. Alternatively, you could have one book open on the Kindle itself while viewing a second book on the free Kindle app that's also available for the PC, Mac, iPhone, Android or BlackBerry. And this one's a really good question, and I like this. Uh, Can we purchase books from the US library on Amazon, or are we restricted to the UK Amazon site for now? Yeah, good question. A UK Kindle is actually tied to your UK Amazon account, so it only supports UK purchases, I'm afraid. It is worth mentioning, interestingly, that e-books are subject to UK VAT, unlike printed books. Bet you didn't know that. No, I wasn't aware. At the time of recording, only 75 people have signed the petition on the Number 10 site, suggesting that taxes scrapped on e-books. I think it should be done. Can we stick a link up on today's notes? We'll add a link to that petition on our show notes straight off. Tim's final question. Because the Kindle is internet-enabled, can it be hacked or get a virus? 
Mm, that's another important one. That's something I'd be concerned about too. As we said in our Kindle review, the browser on the Kindle is actually pretty limited. The Kindle OS is Linux-based, which makes it a bit more secure, and the browser doesn't support file downloads, Java or ActiveX. So I'd say you're pretty safe. Thank you. Staying with the Kindle briefly, thanks to Steve Nutt for the mail pointing out that the Kindle is not as accessible to the blind as we'd assumed. There's no text-to-speech in the Kindle store, and about half of the books don't support text-to-speech. We've just updated our audio guide to include Steve's full mail on the subject. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Next, Mike Futrell asks, Can you recommend a tablet PC that would be the best suited to running the BBC iPlayer using Download and Play Later? Although tempted by the iPad and the Android tablets, these only support streaming video. Yeah, well, if you prefer the full download experience, then a tablet running Windows 7 should do the job. Although I've not tried it myself, the Asus EPC T91 Touch is worth a look. There's also the Arcos 9, which runs Windows 7, but that's had less good reviews. Uh, Now we have a freeview question from Andrew Barker. Once the digital switchover is complete, will there be further capacity to launch additional channels over and above those we currently get? After 2012, some of the UHF band that's currently used for analogue TV will be freed up. For the techies amongst us, that's 551 to 632 megahertz and 799 to 847 megahertz. In theory, that space could be used for more freeview multiplexes or for more HD channels or local TV services or, of course, it could be sold on to the likes of mobile TV or wireless broadband operators. Personally, I hope they give it to the radio amateurs. Yeah, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? (laughs) I certainly would at the moment as I'm going through my radio amateur foundation course. I've got no idea what you're talking about, good buddy. Roger that. I just want to say a special hi to the lads at GX0MWT and in particular to Jim Salmon, who's a Frequency Cast listener and he helped me with my first ever 2 meter CQ call. I like him, but I don't like you. Hi there, Jim. Must be my new aftershave. Also, a hi to our new listeners in air. We're currently being broadcast on a special station for the good folks of air until the 10th of October. Hi to Peter Sturgeon and the team, and also to our new listeners. And remember, when Air FM finishes, you can still catch us online. We're also available on a number of community, student and hospital radio stations. And we're also available on most internet radios. Yeah, you've been putting it about a bit, haven't you, Pete? And if you've got a community station near you... Ask them if perhaps they'd be interested in frequency cast being broadcast on their station. Anyway, that's all we have time for on this show. If you've got a comment or a question, you can text us on 07882043521. Email us via our site or leave us a voicemail on 02081334567. We aim to answer every question we get. So give us a try. Frequency cast. Shutdown in progress. That's all for this show, show 56. For news updates or to get in touch, please stop by frequencycast.co.uk. While you're there, click the Add Us to iTunes button. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for FrequencyCast. Thanks for listening to our tantalising take on technology. And if you like what you've heard, please spread the word. Frequency Cast. Shut down.